Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of the TriDoc Podcast. My name is Jeff Sankoff, and I'm an emergency physician living in Denver, Colorado, who has a passion for triathlon. I began my career in triathlon soon after I finished my training in medicine. It was back in 2000 that I was completing my fellowship in critical care after a residency in emergency medicine, and I found myself very much overweight and very much out of shape. I was faced with, uh, you might say, an anti-Dufresne-like get-busy-living or get-busy-dying moment. Unfortunately, I chose the former and embarked on a new, healthier lifestyle of eating right and incorporating more exercise into my daily routine. At some point, one of my friends and a colleague of mine broached the idea that since I was doing so well with losing weight and getting in shape, why don't I take up the idea of doing a triathlon? To me, this was a pretty hilarious notion, given that the only triathlon I was familiar with was the one that I would see on TV every year in Hawaii, and that was not something I was going to be interested in doing, at least at that time. And the other reason it was funny was because I really didn't know how to swim, and I'm not just talking about, like, you know, kind of could swim and just didn't do well. I, I mean, I really didn't know how to swim. But she got me interested, and after a discussion with my wife that got me even more interested, I decided to take the bait, learned how to swim, got a bike, figured out the whole bike riding thing, and increased my running volume, and about a year later, completed my first ever triathlon. It was a sprint, and over the course of that same summer, I went on to do uh, an Olympic distance as well. And I was hooked after that first go at the sport. There's no question about it. Over the next year and the next several years, I increased the distances that I did up to half Ironman and eventually a full Ironman and learned more about the sport, how to race smarter, and would meet more and more interesting and really just the nicest people in triathlon uh, wherever I went. But as I continued in the sport, I also learned that I wanted to try and give back to the community of triathletes who I had found so welcoming and so helpful to me when I had first gotten started. And so I began contributing in the best way that I could, taking my medical knowledge and writing a periodic column for the website Triathlete Magazine, as well as for the website Beginner Triathlete. And eventually, this led to a several-year stint where I was one of the medical editors for Triathlete Magazine in print. And it was during that time period when I was answering reader questions related to health issues in triathlon that I really began to realize that there's an unfilled need out there amongst the triathlon community. And I've seen this echoed again and again on message boards uh, like Beginner Triathlete as well as Slow Twitch, where there are just continual questions related to health issues and the triathlete. And so here I am now with this very first episode of the TriDoc podcast to try in some small way to fill that need. With this podcast, I hope to address questions from you, my listeners, on matters related to health and well-being, injuries and recovery, and perhaps most importantly, on injury prevention. I'm also going to have segments where I try to help the triathlete consumer cut through all that marketing hype that you see in the magazines and on the web, and try to make educated decisions on whether or not that latest supplement or device or piece of high-tech apparel really is doctor-recommended, or at the very least, has the science to back up the claims that are being made. But more than that, this podcast will aim to provide some other educational and fun informational segments through interviews with coaches, high-achieving athletes, as well as with some other regularly recurring guests. So with that introduction behind us, let's get started, and let's go to the first reader-submitted question on a health-related issue that is pertinent to the triathlete out there.
In future episodes of the podcast, it's my intention to answer questions from you, my listeners. However, since this is the first episode, and I really had no listeners until now, what I did was reach out to some of my friends and teammates who are triathletes and ask them if they had any questions that they thought would be of interest to you. And indeed they did. They submitted several really good ones, several of which I intend to get to in future episodes of the podcast. But for now, I want to get to one in particular that was submitted by a good friend of mine. She asks, what is the safety of using Tylenol or acetaminophen while training or racing in triathlon? And she followed that up with a similar question related to the use of anti-inflammatory medications, otherwise known as NSAIDs, or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. These are excellent questions. Uh, I have seen these drugs being used very frequently by other athletes, and there is actually a fair amount of literature that's been published looking at the effects of both. And so I thought we could take a look at them here now to get a sense of whether or not these drugs actually do confer any benefits and whether or not they can potentially cause any harm. We'll begin first with acetaminophen. Now, most of you will know acetaminophen by its trade name, Tylenol here in North America, or paracetamol in the United Kingdom and in most of Europe and indeed rest of the world. And acetaminophen is a mostly fairly safe drug that has more than 50 years of experience in both children and adults. Its primary use has been over the years as an antipyretic or a medication that reduces fever as well as a pain reliever. And it's actually a pretty good one at that. And both of these uh, drug effects are behind what uh, several Uh, scientists and indeed athletes have purported to be its uh, beneficial effects when used in training or even racing. Specifically, when we think about Tylenol's effects at uh, lowering body temperature, we usually think about it in doing so in patients or in people who have an illness and have an elevated core temperature because of a fever. But it turns out that acetaminophen actually can decrease the rise in body temperature when a person's not even sick. So we know, for example, that elevated core temperature or elevated environmental temperature for that fact, uh, both have a negative impact on exercise efficiency because muscles tend to not perform as well when they get above a certain threshold temperature. So the thinking went, if somebody were to take Tylenol, could they keep their body temperature lower than a person who wasn't taking Tylenol and therefore get an added benefit of improved muscle efficiency when exercising in warm environments? Well, uh, this question has been looked at by a couple of different um, uh, investigators, and most of the evidence on acetaminophen and NSAIDs were nicely summarized in a review article by Lundberg and Howitson that was published in the Scandinavian Journal of Science and Medicine and Sports, and I'll put the reference to that in the show notes. But within this uh, article, uh, they reference a study that was done by Mauber, uh, sorry, Mauger back in 2015 that was published in Experimental Physiology. And this was a fairly small trial. They looked at uh, about 16 athletes uh, in whom they gave either acetaminophen in a therapeutic dose or a placebo, a dummy drug, essentially, and had them exercise uh, on a bicycle in a controlled temperature environment at about 34 degrees Celsius or 95 degrees Fahrenheit and 50% humidity. And then after a washout period of a couple of days, they had these athletes return and gave them the opposite drug and uh, then monitored to see what they could do in uh, the reverse conditions. Uh, 
And in that trial, they uh, found a couple of interesting things. Uh, the first thing they noted was that there was actually a small but uh, statistically significant benefit to the use of Tylenol in improving the ability of athletes to perform on a bicycle in a hot and humid environment. Now, the size of the effect wasn't all that large. Uh, if you look at it in terms of a relative increase, uh, it's 17%. However, the absolute increase is actually not that impressive. turns out that people who used a placebo were able to exercise for 19 minutes, whereas people who used acetaminophen were able to exercise uh, for 23 minutes. However, there are several limitations to the study that always have to be considered whenever you're looking at something that produces those kinds of results. The first, as I already mentioned, is the fact that it's a very small trial. When trials are small, then the likelihood of the results representing the actual truth become less likely. It's easier to have things happen just by chance and then just show up in the results than if you used a very large sample size. So a larger study is more likely to accurately represent what is the truth, whereas a small study like this one may give you misleading results. And we can see that because if we tease through some of the other results that were reported in that study, for example, heart rate, there was no change between those people who received acetaminophen and those who received placebo, suggesting that the fact that they were able to exercise for longer may have had something to do with something other than the core temperature issue that acetaminophen is purported to have a protective effect for. And... Indeed, another study that was done just a couple of months later and published in a different journal by Coombs, also in 2015, again, a small trial, and so the results may not truly represent the truth, um, but in that particular study, there was no difference seen between those patients who had acetaminophen and those who had a placebo. So the jury's kind of out at this point. Uh, it's not entirely clear whether or not acetaminophen actually can confer some kind of protective or beneficial effects if you take it prior to um, actually exercising in the uh, heat. However, um, you know, there's, there's a suggestion in one of these two studies that it might, but I think that uh, we can't say for sure that that is the actual truth at this point. Now, there's one other important limitation in both of these studies, and that is to say that uh, in both studies, the small number of participants were not highly trained athletes. Rather, they were recreational athletes. So just people that were kind of, you know, volunteered from classes or off the street, came in, rode the bicycle for 19 minutes, ran out of gas, came back the next day, rode their bike for 23 minutes. And, you know, when you see something like that, you have to ask yourself, well, is this really applicable to me as a, you know, better trained endurance athlete. Like, you know, they got four minutes benefit from being just a recreational athlete who took acetaminophen. Well, is this really, you know, a result that I can apply to someone who is training six or eight hours a week on a bike? I don't really have the answer for you. Uh, I would say that it's intriguing at this point, but without larger studies and without better design studies, I think that it's hard to say right now that acetaminophen really confers much of a benefit because of its um, temperature regulation effects. Now, there have been other studies that show that acetaminophen is quite helpful because of its ability to reduce the sensation of discomfort in athletes who are training for long periods of time or doing heavy exertions. And we see the same thing with anti-inflammatory drugs as well. 
And I'm going to come back to that because that raises an important point when we consider the safety of these drugs and their use in uh, long-term training. So uh, let's just put that aside for a second and turn our attention instead to the consideration of those studies that looked at anti-inflammatory medications, NSAIDs. Now, most of the NSAIDs that uh, have been looked at are ones that you'll all be familiar with. Uh, the most common ones are ibuprofen and naproxen, which go respectively by the trade names Motrin, Advil, and uh, for naproxen, it's naproxen. Uh, there's other types of NSAIDs as well, which work in a slightly different uh, manner, but uh, are called celecoxib and relicoxib. Uh, but all of them have similar effects in that they interfere with the cellular processes that result in inflammation. Uh, in addition, NSAIDs uh, are uh, pretty good at reducing fever, similar to what we saw with acetaminophen, and uh, they're also reasonably good pain relievers. So what do the studies show looking at anti-inflammatory medications when used in conjunction with exercise? Well, a number of small studies have shown that NSAIDs actually have a pretty negative effect on protein synthesis and other cellular processes that can result in uh, a muted adaptation to exercise. But the size of the effect is not completely understood. But what this means essentially is that when somebody's doing primarily resistance type exercise and taking normal doses of, of uh, NSAIDs, and especially in those who take higher than recommended doses of NSAIDs, we see that protein synthesis is impaired to the point that the adaptation of muscles to the resistance exercise is not what one would expect if they weren't taking the NSAID at all. So when comparing patients who take NSAIDs to those who are on placebo, the people with placebo actually get more of an effect from the exercise than do those with NSAIDs. We also know that endurance athletes uh, suffer a similar fate. And again, it has to do with the anti-inflammatory properties of these drugs, which have some important effects on the ability of the body to adapt to exercise and show the benefits of exercise over time. So essentially what we're saying here is that NSAIDs probably not a good thing to be taking on a regular basis prior to exercise. Now, like acetaminophen, NSAIDs do have the ability to decrease the level of discomfort that athletes feel when they're training. And I said this before when we talked about acetaminophen, that this was an important point to consider because of safety issues. And I mean that because if you're taking acetaminophen or an anti-inflammatory medication before you begin exercise, what conceivably can happen is you can basically trick your body and remove those sort of set points that you would otherwise not be able to get through. Now, a lot of you might think, well, that sounds great. I could push myself harder than I would otherwise be able to do. And, and that, to a point, is true because some studies have shown that the use of acetaminophen and NSAIDs actually allows people to train harder than they would without those medications. The problem is the pain that you feel when you're exercising too hard is a warning sign. And it can suggest that if you push further than that, you may be causing underlying injuries. And if you're taking these medications and not allowing your body to give you that kind of feedback, then we know, and there are a lot of studies that have shown this, people who take NSAIDs or acetaminophen regularly while training are more prone to getting chronic overuse injuries because they don't get the feedback from their body that they need to. Now, this is just one of only one of the uh, important safety issues related to these drugs because 
Acetaminophen and NSAIDs have important side effects in all people who take them, but especially in athletes because of uh, some specific conditions that they put their bodies through. So acetaminophen uh, on its own is quite a potentially toxic medication when taken in doses higher than are recommended. The therapeutic index of Tylenol or acetaminophen uh, refers to the difference between the dose you can take to get treated and the dose that you need to take to get poisoned. And it's actually pretty narrow for this drug. 50 milligrams per kilogram is the normal dose that you take in order to get the effects of lowering a body temperature or getting pain relief. And 150 milligrams, only three times that dose per kilogram, is what you need to get significant liver damage. And indeed, acetaminophen remains the number one cause of liver failure in the Western world. So it's not an insignificant issue. So if you are going to take acetaminophen, then you need to be wary of this, and you need to be sure that you're not taking too much. How much is 150 milligrams per kilogram? Well, it's a lot less than you would think. For a 150-pound athlete, that's like about a 70-kilogram athlete, you're talking about 10 and a half grams of uh, acetaminophen. So that's only 20 extra strength tablets. And it's not like you have to take those all at once. Uh, Tylenol can have a cumulative effect because its uh, metabolism is somewhat slow and is reliant on uh, enzymes and chemicals in the body to detoxify it. So you can overwhelm those processes if you take too much in too short of a period. So Tylenol, very safe medication as long as it's taken in the doses that are prescribed. And if you exceed those doses, you are at risk of having significant long-term effects, especially with your liver and occasionally with the kidneys. Now, anti-inflammatory medications, on the other hand, uh, they have, as their most common side effects, uh, gastrointestinal bleeding from formation of ulcers. Uh, we see this very commonly in people who take large quantities of NSAIDs over a period of time. But a more important issue is related to renal dysfunction or kidney dysfunction. And this is more of a problem in people who are dehydrated. And when do triathletes tend to take their ibuprofen? Tends to be after the bike, just before they get on the run. The point in the race where they are most dehydrated and about to get even more so. So it is not uncommon to have people get some degree of renal injury from taking anti-inflammatory drugs during a race and even during training. So you really have to be wary of that and consider that before using these drugs on a regular basis. Finally, one big concern about the use of anti-inflammatory relates to people who are a little bit older. We know now, in the past several years, have learned that anti-inflammatory drugs have significant cause or significant impacts on the likelihood of a patient suffering vascular uh, disorders such as stroke or myocardial infarction, heart attack. Uh, aspirin is an anti-inflammatory drug, but it's a different drug altogether because it has a very specific role in causing the inhibition of platelets. Platelets are important when they clump together in causing heart attacks and strokes. Well, it turns out that aspirin inhibits that clumping uh, uh, of platelets and therefore can actually be protective against heart attacks or strokes, whereas other anti-inflammatories do not do that. Other anti-inflammatories actually tend to promote the clumping together of platelets and can actually increase the risk of stroke and heart attack. So to put it all together, acetaminophen 
you know, not a whole lot of literature out there. Most of it is not particularly favorable. There is some suggestion that it might be useful for heat adapt- for heat uh, uh, adaptation and for exercising in hot and humid environments, but there's really nothing compelling to suggest that this should be a medication that one would consider to use in those situations. And until there's more literature or more uh, research, I-, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. And as far as anti-inflammatory medications go, I think that uh, there's pretty much no doubt that these are really not advised for uh, most athletes. Uh, I would certainly say that if you're using anti-inflammatories as a means to um, relieve discomfort after exercising, that is a completely different situation, and that's really not what I'm addressing here today. But if you're considering using NSAIDs as a means of uh, preventing pain while exercising, of uh, somehow getting some kind of benefit in uh, your ability to uh, exercise uh, either with more efficiency or with more durability, that is simply not going to happen. And in fact, uh, all of the evidence to this point suggests that you're actually doing yourself harm by using these medications in that way. So that is the answer that I have for you on these specific medications in these particular uses. Again, uh, if you have any uh, further questions on this, you should consult with your own physician, and there are are obviously going to be specific circumstances where these medications are going to be indicated for individual athletes. And so my advice here is uh, generic and uh, based on the literature that I have found. Again, I will uh, put the reference Uh, to the articles that I mentioned in the show notes. And if you have questions that you'd like to hear me answer on a future podcast, please uh, do reach out. You can email me at uh, tri underscore doc at icloud.com. And now... I'd like to move on to a different part of the show where I invite local athletes and coaches onto the podcast to discuss elements of training and racing and how they relate to their own experiences with injuries and health and well-being. For the first episode, I've invited a very close friend of mine, Kelly Poix. Kelly is a very accomplished uh, triathlete at all distances in the sport. Most recently, she competed at the Ironman World Championships in Kona, where she took third place in her age group. I will defer from letting you know which age group that was at her request. Uh, Last year at the uh, 70.3 World Championships, she also placed third, and she currently is ranked as the number one athlete on the USAT age group rankings in uh, uh, 2018. Kelly also has a uh, nascent coaching business uh, that has been uh, growing uh, very quickly, and it's my pleasure to welcome her to the podcast. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So, Kelly, uh, I want to start first with just getting a sense of what you consider to be your philosophy of coaching. Okay. Sustainability. I, uh, I, I'm, I like the idea that, uh, that we could be around in this sport for a long, long time. So I was inspired. I don't know if anybody else saw it, but there was a, a uh, an eighty. Was he eighty four? I think he was eighty nine. He was he was in his he was well into his eighties anyway. A finisher at Kona, and uh, he was eighty six. Actually, I remember 
because it's, you know, I am 46, so I've got another 40 years in this sport, I like to think. And uh, I, I like to think that, you know, that's how it would be for my athletes as well. Um, you know, there's going to be ups and downs uh, throughout the sport, throughout the year, but that, you know, I would be coaching people through all their life events and that that would be sticking around till they're 86. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? <laughs> have you uh, had any experience with uh, coaching athletes who have an injury or who have been coming back from an injury? And if so, how do you approach them so that you can best help them? Yeah. Uh, yes, definitely I have. And, uh, you know, there's different things that, that can happen to people, whether they're uh, injuries that are related to the sport that they do or whether it's something completely different. But uh, coming back from an injury, you know, you have to listen to the athlete. You have to understand exactly what it is that's that's uh, that's thrown them off track for a little bit of time. Uh, and you have to make sure it's safe for them to come back as well. So, you know, I always make sure that, uh, that their doctor knows what they're doing, um, you know, that, uh, that they've uh, at the point where they can, you know, move as needed in the sport. So, or if there are limitations that we can work around them as well. So um, until, they're, until they're rehabbed enough where they can start uh, using whatever it is that, that, that held them up in the first place. So, um it's difficult as well because you kind of have to uh, reel back sometimes their expectations, um, you know, and and uh, take baby steps, um, small steps, and uh, and and listen and talk as well because uh, it can be pretty depressing when you're coming back into a sport if you've had a period of time off, and uh, you know your fitness has taken a huge hit. Uh, you know you really can't come back into it at the same level that you were at before. And, uh, and to, to, I describe it as, you know, digging yourself out of a hole uh, and, uh, and climbing back up out of a hole, I should say, so that, uh, you know, you get yourself back to where you were and then, you know, then you can build up and, you know, sign up for races or, or have more ambitious goals. But um, it's, uh, it's seeking feedback from the athlete the whole time. You know, how did you feel today? Uh, and to get them to be honest with you as well because, uh, you know, you don't want them to be uh, pushing through things that will just cause them to be, you know, taking two steps back um, or, or potentially injuring them if they've had something serious that's happened before. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of communication and, and, uh, and setting realistic expectations, helping them set realistic expectations. And you mentioned earlier to me before uh, we started recording, you mentioned trust, that there needs to be a relationship of trust where uh, a coach can, you know, trust that the athlete's going to be honest, but that also the, the athlete will feel comfortable being honest with the coach. Right. Yeah, because, and I think that's where you have to agree on some goals and 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 talk through some expectations as well. And if they if they understand the journey that they're about to take with you, uh, then you know they're going to buy into it. They're gonna they're gonna give you more feedback. They're gonna they're gonna tell you what's. Uh, you know, okay, today my foot hurt. Um, and, you know, but that's okay. I, you know, I've given you a day off tomorrow. So, you know, you can, you can rest that if you need to. Uh, yeah, I, I think it does. It comes down to trust and communication for sure. They, but you have to agree upfront, I think on, you know, the path that you're going to take, because if they don't believe in the process, then they're not going to, they're not going to be truthful. They'll, they'll fudge things. 
So are you looking like on a daily basis at your athletes' workouts to see if they've been successful in completing them? And I mean, what kinds of things are you looking for in their feedback that might be nonverbal that might clue you into maybe something's going on? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, so I'm I'm lucky in that uh, you know I the athletes that I'm thinking of that, that that come to mind whilst we're talking on this particular subject are, have been really good at giving me feedback, and uh, you know I uh, I guess I'm looking every day to see okay did did they do what they were supposed to do, and also. I need to be adaptable as well. You know, if I've if I've written a program or if I've written, you know, a couple of workouts that might have been a couple of steps ahead of where they were at, I need to be I need to be looking at that and and take responsibility for that as well because, you know, I I don't want them to feel that oh, I've I've failed that workout because, you know, she's written it for me and I haven't been able to do it. And uh, you know, and and I stress to my athletes, you know, it, it, this is this is this is baby steps, this is a process that we're working through and I absolutely rely on your feedback because uh, if I've written something that's just a little bit beyond what you're up to, um, you know, then then I I, I need to um, dial it back a little bit. It's also difficult sometimes to help people through, uh, to help people understand uh, the difference between uh, their lack of fitness and their injury, um, you know, because there is a difference. And, and uh, you know, um, knowing uh, when to have them push and, and knowing when to say, okay, yes, you're right, let's let's back off a little bit. So, um, yeah, that just depends on the, the particulars of the injury, obviously. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean... Sometimes people just don't have it on that day and they can confuse that for, you know, an injury or vice versa, which obviously would be much more significant. Uh, People who shrug off an injury as being fatigue can go ahead to make that worse. And I guess that comes down to honesty, not just with your coach, but with, with, with yourself as an athlete. Yes. Yeah. And, and certainly as an athlete, I've been guilty of that. And I know you have to. (laughs) We're going to try and keep. uh, (laughs) Confessions. That's a different podcast. (laughs) So, you know, you've talked a lot about trust. You've talked a lot about expectations. Um, You know, both of us have been through these little niggling kind of injuries. We probably don't, you know, tell our coaches about. uh, But now that you're coaching, what are the kinds of things that you want to hear about? I mean, do you want to hear every time your athlete has a cold, for example? Do you want to hear about every time they kind of, you know, come back more tired than they feel like they should be? What are the sort of, you know, upper and lower limits of what you think an athlete should tell their coach? I I write my, the workouts that I write for my athletes are very specific. They're they're designed for my athletes for the stage uh, in the season that they're up to, and uh, and and I rely on them to do those workouts so that we can progress them, okay, and move them on to you know perhaps increase the intensity or the volume. And so, if there's hiccups or there's things that are going to derail that process, I I absolutely want to know. I, I want to hear it. If they if they've caught a cold. I don't want them pushing through stuff like that. It's just, it's not worth it. Um, if uh, if there's if there's something that's slightly pulling in their hamstring, I want to know that because we can't. We need to address any weaknesses through strength targeted strength programs and things like that, or specific stretches. 
I need to hear about it. I really do. I, no, mu- no, nothing's too much, really. So so far, <laughs> I haven't heard anything yeah. too much. <laughs> and I, I guess I just want to finish on one thing. I know this is sort of near and dear to your heart, and and that's your feeling about the importance of strength training in terms of injury prevention. Yes, it's amazing. It, it's amazing how uh, you know. <laughs> the thigh bone is collected, connected to the knee bone, etc. I mean, you know, it, it, all of these things have a way of manifesting at times when you don't want them to, like in a race where, you know, you. so any weaknesses that can be addressed with strength are super important. Yeah. So uh, stretching, mobility and strength are just absolute key part of, of the workouts that I write for my athletes. Definitely. That's great. Thanks so much for being here, Kelly. Kelly, how can uh, people reach you if they're interested in learning more about your coaching service? Oh, thanks. I uh, You can look at my website, kpendurance.com. All right. And we'll put that link in the show notes as well. Thanks for being here, Kelly, and uh, good luck with the 2019 season. Same to you, Jeff. It's winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, and while for a lot of people that just means adding a lot of extra layers in order to continue riding outdoors, for many, many more, it means we are deep in the throes of the indoor cycling season. Now, for a healthy subset of that group who slog away in the pain cave for hour after hour on the trainer, Zwift or Sufferfest videos are their main means of whiling away the time. But for others like me, those applications hold less of an allure. The rest of us prefer to spend our time spinning the pedals and sweating while watching a good movie or television show. So this next segment will really appeal to those of you who count yourselves in that group. Before I climb on my bike for a long trainer session, I refer to a list that I have compiled of movies that I have missed but really want to see. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, the movies I want to see don't really go with the workout that I have to do. Moonlight was a terrific film, for example, but try doing that to a high-intensity interval workout. So in times when I can't find something appropriate, I have taken to reaching out to my friend and colleague, Janetta Iwanaki. Janetta is an emergency physician like me and a subspecialist in toxicology. She's also a multiple Ironman finisher and, like me, adores watching great movies while on the trainer. Her knowledge of poisons and antidotes is rivaled by her knowledge of excellent trainer movies, and so I have asked her to join me now for a segment I'm calling Reels for Wheels. Janetta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Janetta... You have always been the person I have turned to because you share, like I do, a uh, affinity for great trainer movies. What are the things that you think of uh, uh, that qualify a movie to be like perfect for the trainer? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. Um, truth be told, it's really a few different factors that come into play for me. Um, I tend to watch more often than not action films on the trainer. Uh, for a few different reasons. But for me, it's even better if it's an action film with a bit of a comedy bent to it. Uh, Something that it doesn't take too much brain power to engage in, um, has really uh, sort of engaging cinematography, um, ideally music that really kind of engages with that cinematography to kind of pull you in. And then the last thing that I really look for is um, what I call world building. So something where it's intriguing and you feel like you're really immersed in whatever's happening in the film. 
Uh, that being said, uh, the key that kind of goes with that, and I would argue makes something not a trainer movie for me, is something where the dialogue is really intense and I actually have to focus my brain and pay a lot of attention for something to make sense. Uh, you mentioned Moonlight uh, being a great movie, but not a great trainer movie. And I think that's a perfect example where you really have to be kind of focused on all the details of what's happening in that film. And for me, that's just too tough to do when I'm trying to get my heart rate up into, you know, zone five. That just doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay, so with uh, that in mind, what have you got for us today? What's your recommendation for this week's uh, Reels for Wheels? Yeah, so one of my favorite trainer movies of all time is uh, John Wick. And I have to be honest, this was not a movie that I uh, otherwise would have necessarily picked out of uh, a stack of things other than I was looking for something in the action section that I could watch in my trainer. And I was delighted and surprised to discover that it happened to be like the perfect trainer movie. Um, talk about a movie where you've got that kind of world building um, along with that intensity and like um, those action scenes with music. You know, for me, this was just the perfect movie to kind of suck me right in. Yeah, I could not agree more. I uh, was blown away by that movie uh, when you recommended it to me. Uh, gosh, it's got to be a couple of years ago now. I, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I love that film. I, I, I mean, the violence is over the top. So if uh, you're squeamish about that kind of thing, it's not going to be for you. Uh, it's but, true. It, but it's very cartoonish and it's, it's yeah, violence yeah. that is almost balletic in a way. And it's interesting. I was looking online just to kind of refresh my memory uh, about John Wick. And I hadn't really thought of John Wick as being genre changing, but there are a lot of people who consider John Wick, despite the fact that it didn't really make a huge amount of money at the box office, really, really had a significant impact on the action film genre afterwards, both in terms of the look and in terms of the, the stylistic components of the movie, but also um, a lot of things that, you know, the character brought to the movie as well, which is not something you think of for Keanu Reeves, but it, it really did go a long way. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you bring up one of the really interesting points is that this is a, a perfect example of something that I think is on its way to becoming a cult classic, but didn't really kind of have that initial box office impact. But the other thing that I thought was really fascinating about this movie is you mentioned that almost balletic component to the violence that's involved. And um, I, at one point, had been really curious, you know, who this director was, because I hadn't been familiar with him before. And it turns out that he's got a background in um, stunt directing, uh, which makes so much sense once you see that movie. You know, there really is this very physical nature to almost all the direction to it uh, that's really unique and I think really contributes to that sense of um, action that kind of pulls you forward and makes you want to pedal faster. <clears throat> Aurelio speaking. I heard you struck my son. Yes, sir, I did. Yeah, may I ask why? Yeah, well, because he stole John Wick's car, sir, and uh, killed his dog. Yeah, I agree. And and in fact, uh, speaking of the director, there was two directors on that film, and they both were stunt uh, 
um, they're both stuntmen before. One of them actually did the stunt work for Keanu Reeves in the Matrix trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, really interesting. Uh, yeah. And they've gone on to make uh, other features that were similar. So Atomic Blonde uh, with Charlize Theron mm-hmm. is another one they've made. They both worked, uh, or one of them worked on uh, the Deadpool uh, franchise mm-hmm. and uh, similar uh, types of uh, movies uh, in the action genre. So they've really had an outsized impact despite uh, the box office take. And of course, the second chapter, which I'm sure we'll talk about on another podcast, uh, uh, continued in the same vein, didn't have the same originality to it, but also a great trainer movie. So um, what kind of, yeah, what kind of rides do you consider this movie suitable for? I mean, clearly it's not a recovery ride movie. (laughs) No, it's terrible for recovery rides because it's guaranteed your heart rate will be beyond zone two just by watching it. Right. Uh, But I think the other thing that it's the thing that I find it most useful for is um, high intensity intervals. And it has to do with the fact that that action is so explosive um, and almost episodic too. So there's uh, almost little vignettes within the movie that sort of are really nicely contained for um, a, you know, a good burst of power. Um, and so I think for me that that's what I use it most often for. Awesome. Well, well, my selection for a great trainer movie is uh, 2010's Kick-Ass. And uh, this is another one that I wasn't expecting to enjoy. I'm generally not one for superhero movies, and I had pretty low expectations. Uh, but I really, really was surprised at how much I loved it. Um, the performances, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, an actor I was not familiar with, uh, Chloe, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, another one I was not familiar with, uh, and then a couple of you know standard uh, Nick Cage and um, Mark Strong both bring uh, great performances to a film that really surprised me. Again, a lot of uh, uh, you know violent action set pieces, but very cartoonish. It is a comic book uh, fantasy after all, uh, and has just that you mentioned before the the comedic part that you look for. I think Nicolas Cage does such a fantastic <laughs> job playing the Adam West almost Batman part in this movie. And, and I, yeah. I, yeah, I really enjoyed this film and and found it to be a terrific way to pass time on the trainer and get some really hard intervals. Uh, there's a definite homage to Quentin Tarantino in this film, especially uh, towards the end with one of those set pieces. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Give it up, man. Just walk away. No, never. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? You'd rather die for some piece of shit that you don't even fucking know? The three assholes laying into one guy where everybody else watches? And you wouldn't know what's wrong with me? Yeah, I'd rather die. So bring it on! You're fucking crazy, kid. <laughs> What? Thank you. That fucking rock. Who are you? I'm Kickass. Yeah, certainly. And I think uh, you you hit the nail on the head when you said that that movie really ma- marries kind of that violence with uh, or action 
um, with comedy in a way that I found really engaging. So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree. That's a great movie to watch on the trainer. Yeah. Um, and do, do you tend to do intervals with that one as well, or do you have a different style that you prefer for it? No, that was uh, actually, it's funny. That was a, a, a workout that I was set to do intervals on and I was just looking for something and I, I figured kick ass, well, it must be something that's going to be, you know, energetic <laughs> and sure enough it was. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was happy to uh, to have that one to watch, and uh, it definitely worked well. I, I you you need an up tempo workout to do that uh, to yeah, watch that movie yeah. for sure. Well, yeah, thanks. I totally uh, agree. Thanks so much for uh, being on the podcast today, uh, Janetta, and uh, I'll look forward to uh, the next episode where we could talk about another great trainer movie, and uh, we'll uh, speak to you again soon. Yeah, now I feel like I need to go watch Atomic Blonde again. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> thanks, for your, thanks for your time, and I'll look forward to next time. Okay, take care. You too. Bye. And that brings me to the conclusion of the first ever episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I sincerely hope that you've enjoyed listening. If you did, then I hope that you will consider leaving a rating, because that can really help get the word out. If you didn't, I hope that you will consider letting me know how I can change things up and make it better. I welcome any feedback and, of course, listener medical questions for consideration for answering on the pod. All can be sent to me via email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, and all of that information, along with links to all of the things I discussed on today's podcasts, are available in the show notes. music heard at the beginning and end of the podcast is Radio by The Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song, and more like it, can be found at www.reverbnation.com, where I hope that you will go and help support small independent bands. Until next time, I'm Jeff Sankoff, The Tri-Doc. Train hard, train healthy.